Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, the first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you hunt or fish Alabama or in the deep south, you know that it's different down here. Spawning seasons, patterns, food sources, they ain't the same down here as in other parts of the country. At Great Days Outdoors Magazine, Southern Outdoors writers pick the brains of the best Southern hunters and anglers and give you the best how-to, where-to, and when-to articles, along with so much, much more. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors Magazine subscription and become a better Southern Outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors Magazine can be found at your local Barnes & Nobles, Books a Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rule King, Bass Pro Shops, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. If you're fortunate enough to own a lake or a pond, then I know you want to get the most out of it as possible. We all want to manage and grow big deer on our place, so why not grow the biggest, most healthy fish possible as well? Give Norman a call at Southeastern Pond Management at 205-288-1371 or just look them up, southeasternpondmanagement.com. And these guys know how to grow big. I'm your host, Brian Sand. Hope you guys are having a good week. I'm uh, sitting here watching that pour straight down outside again. Uh, ain't good for get fishing, but it's good for the grass, I guess. But uh, thank you guys for listening today. We have a special segment show that I'm excited about. I had this guy on in the past. Love having him on. Always Always a great interview. Guy, this guy, as much knowledge as anybody in the world on catching fish. Welcome to the show, Gerald Swindle. G-Man, what's going on, brother? Oh, man, just up here at Gunnersville getting ready to build this art. What it looks like, I'm just going to start getting my wood out and get, building my art. It's going to float away. Man, I'm going to tell you, it's been, uh, it's been, we've had some rain lately now. Ain't no doubt about that. Storms, rain, everything, tornadoes, everything in between. It's one of the wettest springs I can remember. I, I come over Lake Gunnersville, uh, I had to go get some stuff this morning, and it's back up to full pool, rolling mud everywhere. I mean, it's just, and it's been muddy and rolling now for three or four weeks. It's just like, it just, it won't end. The whole Tennessee River's high flooded. Oh, man, I, I guarantee you. How does that, Gerald, affect the fish? I mean, when when Gunnersville comes up like that and, and gets muddy like it is now, it's a hot time of the year. Everybody wants to be fishing right now, but how does that affect it? It's crazy how it works because like at Peak Week on the Tennessee River, when they bring it up and down, bring it up and down, they have three or four foot of fluctuation. A lot of them fish want to come to the bank, but they can't because the water keeps coming up and down. The Gunners was a little bit more stable, and they only drop it a foot and a half up and down. But if the water would stay up and high, you know, they don't just start dropping and immediately a bass just don't want to go up there and start spawning when the water's falling back. As soon as they get in, if it starts falling, then they're they're a little bit apprehensive about the spawn. So they'll hold off as long as they can stand it. But it, when that water keeps falling like that, they just keep pulling out. They just won't stay in there. So I think in all my years of seeing high water in the spring, there's one thing about it. It's really good for the spawn if the lake goes up and stays up. Like Smith Lake right now is, I don't know, seven or eight foot over full pool. So it's up to people's yards. If it doesn't come below full pool, and it stays way up, the fish that spawn will have a great place to hide their fry. And you usually after big flood years, you see a lake rebound pretty good because the 
during the spawn, everything can survive. It's, they're just not so people can't sight fish. You know, it just does away with all the predators for them and it helps, but it doesn't make, you know, it, it can make fishing kind of tough when it's doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Does the muddy water along with the high water also affect it? Or is it mainly just the, the water going up and down that's a big factor? I'm sure with the muddy water, it gets muddy. It stabilizes a few days. Fish get back on, right? Yep. They, they don't seem to mind the mud. They don't like the fresh mud right on the river. But you give it two or three days, and like I said, they'll start biting right back again. They just like it to be stable in the spring. There's one thing about a fish when he's spawning. He does not like that unstable condition. And a lot of times what we're getting is these, we get lightning so many days in a row and, and fish on the bed are trying to spawn. They don't like lightning worth, you know, worth a darn. So you get a night where you get a day where the moon's right and fish move up there and, and start to get on bed. Say you have 10 or 15 fish in a pocket that's bed. If you get a whole bright sky of lightning that night, the next morning he gone. He gone for a couple of hours. He may not be back to that that afternoon. So even guys that think like in these local tournaments, they've got some found. They get a big lightning storm that night. Them fish will be gone the next morning for sure. Wow, I didn't know. I didn't know lightning did that. Oh, they don't like it at all. And the clearer the lake, the worse it is. I mean, the clearer the lake, the worse it is. If it's super muddy, you, it's not as bad. But man, like Smith Lake, when if it lightens up there at night, it'll clean bed fish off. Now they may be back at. 10 the next morning or three that evening, but they're going to be gone that next morning. Good gracious. Hey, they they smart. Like they, they like me. I don't like it neither. No, they go down there and hide. I think with this high water up here, it, it's kept Gunnersville a little tougher, but it's Mother Nature's way of protecting it. Even though we all like to sight fish and we all like to go look at them, right now you can't look at many. And, you know, you can go visually throw at targets and fish real slow around them and try to catch one like that on, on sight fishing, but they're going to get a, a great piece of protection from Mother Nature this year. It's going to give them plenty of places to hide to fry, which is what, you know, all these lakes need that every now and then. So a good flushing, it sucks to fish in, but it's good for Mother Nature to do it. Well, that's good, and and uh, it, I know there's a lot of tournaments up there at Gunnersville the last several weeks, a lot of pressure on them, so like you said, this may actually be a good thing for them to it gets harassed, you know, and I love fishing and I want to go every day, but these lakes seem like we got more people fishing than we ever have. Mm -hmm. So the lake press, you know, you had just this past weekend at Gunners, we had the Sealy Outdoor Big Bass Tournament and they had 11 or 1200 entries in it. They had a couple hundred boats and some type of high school tournament there. They had other local tournaments. I mean, it's just lakes can get to the point where the fish just start getting educated and harder to catch. So with bad weather, you know, rain and all that, not as many people go during the week. So it just gives a little break. They get fish. I tell people all the time, I was like, you know, they like fishing getting hard to catch. I'm like, yeah, because they get an education. Right. Every day throwing at them. It's like a deer. If you if you chase him every day, you hunt him every day in a row, he's going to get smart. Yep. Smarter. Yep. He's educated all the time. How do you navigate that on a lake? I mean, Gunnersville's your home lake. So let's just talk about that. You know, that's that's a lake that you get to fish when you ain't off, when you've gone a good bit fishing tournaments. and But when you fish a high-pressure lake like that, I mean, you go down a bank, there have been 10 other people just down there before you. I mean, do you change yeah. your approach on a high-pressure situation like that? I do. I use it. If I'm going down stretches and I, I know there's fish normally there and a lot of boats are in front of me, I'm either, I'm either going to try to, I'm watching everybody, I'm going to try to do something different. Maybe I downsize my bait, maybe I fish slower, and sometimes I upsize my bait. I'm trying to figure out 
what everybody else is doing and just go a little bit off kilter, maybe fish a little further off the bank. But on high pressure lakes like this, what it does, it even for, for me, like I came home and, and I just ain't having like a, an evening or two here and there to go fish. Like one evening I went for three hours and only had one bite. Like they're not easy to find. Like in this type of condition in spring with a lot of pressure, a guy has to just pretty much stay on the lake all the time. And there's some guys that live up, you know, that live here that get to fish it all the time. They stay on them. But when you just run in out of town and jump out there and fish, it can be very overwhelming how smart they are and how they're moving around. And, and they get in new places each year. I mean, it's like just doing the same thing every year is not good. I mean, I had places last year in the high water that I just crushed them. And I ran check two of them yesterday and never had a bite. Good so gracious. They're adapting to the pressure, the eelgrass, the color of the water, the current flow. But Gunners was one of them places. You need a little time. I tell people they come in there fishing. And like, Man, we fished you know, all day and had three or four bites. I said, you know, guys, that ain't what you wanted because this is a great lake, but this ain't an easy lake just to come down and launch the boat and just crush them in. You're going to put your time in most of the time unless you just get lucky and land on them. You're going to spend some time out there fishing. Yeah, especially when it's, you know, like you said, with this, I mean, what y'all have, 1,400, 1,600 boats uh, last weekend? I mean, it's got to affect them. I mean, it's got to affect them. Uh, that's just a lot of pressure. You know, everybody's running three or four units on their boat. Which, so there's a lot of transducers pinging and trolling motor noise. It just, you know, you, you take 20 boats that troll around a pocket, even if they're not looking for sight fish, if they buzz around it, just throwing a spinnerbait and all that, you know, most people fish the same distance off the bank. If you'll watch 10 people go down the bank, mm-hmm. eight of them almost the exact same spot off the bank. So you've got to imagine any fish that live in that circle, he just got a haircut. Mm-hmm just troll them on after troll them on. so those fish either have to go shallower or go deeper they're not going to sit there continuously and let you run over mm-hmm. that's what you try to tell sometimes it ain't even the casting that's messing them up it's just the boat traffic that in general like the trolling motors the big motors idling in and out of these coves that's just part of it and you just you have to take all that into consideration when you jump on gunnersville like that and gunnersville is one of the hardest lakes to physically sight fish and I love sight fishing. I was trying to teach my nephew a little bit about it the other day, and we was up on Nickajack, and I was explaining to him. I said, you know, Gunners was one of the hardest places to learn, and you don't catch a lot of giants looking at them. I mean, I've caught some sixes and sevens out here looking at them, but I don't really ever see a nine or a ten on bed up here, even when the water's clear. So I said, it's a weird place to sight fish because most of the big fish bed three to five foot on stumps, you know, and I said, most time you can't even see them. So that one lake, when you start sight fishing here, you're going to battle a whole bunch of grass. You're not going to be able to see them as good as you think you can. And the ones you can see sometime are in holes just straight down on the boat in the grass. And it makes it harder to catch them because you're sitting on top of them. So I told him, I said, Gunners was a good learning curve for you. But it's the advanced series of sight fishing because it's harder to see up here. Because most time we don't have gin clear water. You know, I said, so tell him, I said, for you to learn, he needs to go to an inland or you know, maybe go to Smith Lake or somewhere where he can see better to kind of start getting a grasp of what he's trying to do. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, the whole show today the, the, the is, is the best spring bass fishing tips, lures, and techniques, and that's kind of the main thing that we're focusing on today. So this is a great conversation leading into that. But, you know, one of the things when I think about sight fishing, especially in a situation where you're – what you're dealing with at Gunnersville right now – 
you know, when we think about sight fishing, I know I do anyway, I think about getting on the front of your boat and having your, your, your gla- polarized glasses on and looking for that, that, uh, that clear spot or that dark spot or something, you know, wh- where you can see the bed and then look for the fish, but you can't do that all the time in muddy or water. Can you use your, are people using, are you using electronics to try to find fish on bed like that now with all the side views and things that we have? I can actually take my Garmin live scope and if it's three, four or five foot, I can find a stump. You know, I can look around here and find a stump. I may can see him on it if he's on this side of stump, you know, but what I'm trying to do is find that piece of structure with that live scope and then throw at it. So you can actually bed fish with it, throwing at a physical target, not necessarily looking at him. But I tell people when it comes to sight fishing, if I had my rathers, I don't turn nothing on. I don't want any depth finders running. I mean, you want to be as quiet as you can. And people think that you have to be looking at them. And I try to tell my, I was like, you really, when you're just looking at that fish to catch and he weighs three pounds, that's, that's the best you can do right there. I said, versus blind casting to multiple holes and not worry about going for and looking, you have the potential to throw in one bigger you know, or more fish, I said, don't get caught up in the fact that you have to be looking at them. I said, you can take one simple bait. I can take one bait, one set up of fish across the country, sight fishing, and never look at the one I'm catching and catch them all off bed, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Because you're throwing at little targets and holes, and you don't need, like, it's the most basic setup in the world is the Zoom 8-inch lizard. I mean, when it comes to springtime, I'm going to have my 8-inch lizards laying in the boat, Texas rig, I might have one on a 316th weight that I can cast on 16-pound line, and then I'll have one on 20 that I can flip the stumps with a quarter-ounce weight closer to me. But I'll take just a regular Texas rig lizard. I'll throw it every target in the pocket. And when I'm not on a target, I'll just kind of slow wind it back in and kind of swim it. And you can it's the best sight fishing setup around there, and you never have to see the fish before you catch it. You just simply – and you tell them the further you can throw and stay away from the boat, you're a lot better off. I mean, would you rather shoot at a deer completely relaxed, or would you rather him come in on be hot red zone looking at you and you and him having a stare down and you trying to draw back? That's what it's like when a bass gets close to the boat and he sees you. You got to go through that stare down. He's got to come completely back down to a level. Like his mentality has to be level. He can't be all jacked up. He just has to get calm. Then you have to work him. Then he'll bite. It's just like with a deer, like you said, you, that takes time and uh, to let him calm down and and you still don't know whether you're going to like with, with bow hunting, nervous deer, he may come in, he may get calm, present that shot and he may not, but it's a totally different deal when they're nervous. So like, you, you know, that's a really good point is, you know, the time you're sitting there looking at that three pounder trying to get him to bite and trying to wait for him to calm down. I mean, you could have, you may could have landed a couple more fish and yep. bigger fish just going down the bank and in, in, in the right area. But some people say, man, I'm colorblind. I can't sight fish. I'm like, dude, it might be a gift <laughs> because I'm not, and I love sight fishing, but it's actually beat me sometimes. Cause I like to go up there and play that cat and mouse chess game with a fish. And then it gets personal. Then I don't care if he's a two pounder. It's between me and him and the good Lord. And I'm going to catch him. And I usually end up losing money that way instead of just fan casting around. So I tell people, don't worry about if you can't see good. You can tie that lizard on, throw it around. Like I said, you may have a limit before I catch that. Does color seem to matter? You know, when you when you talk about the lizard, I mean, is there a particular color that does better than others? Kind of a go-to for you? 
I stick a real simple on the spring. I don't do all that white stuff when people are looking at, even when I'm sight fishing, I'm physically looking at them. I don't throw white. But when I'm casting up lizard around, I throw a green pumpkin or green pumpkin candy or watermelon all the time. Like that's just, just what I throw. I dip the tail chartreuse. A lizard's the natural enemy to a bass. You know, they think that he's going to eat his eggs and dude, they just react. I mean, I can't tell you every spring that comes around. I run with Terry Scroggins and Britt Myers forever and it, and it got to be a running joke in the spring. Britt would say we'd come in and I'd catch a pretty good bag. And the tournament said, let me guess. You had the lizard on. I'm like, yep, I do every time. <laughs> And I don't care. I went to Lake Norman, a place where he said, dude, nobody up here ever throws a lizard and finished second, almost won that tournament, throwing a lizard around. He goes, dude, that's unheard of. He said, nobody up here would ever believe you can just take an eight-inch lizard and bomb around and catch them. I'm like, that's why they bite it. This is just a natural bait. They don't like it. It swims good. It's not too over the top. And I can throw it a long way. So I can throw it all the way to the back of the pocket, swim it up to a dark place and kill it. Let it sit there for a second. I can swim it up to the stump and kill it. I may work four different beds on the same cast or what I think are potential beds. And then sometimes you just catch them just reeling it in. Just that, I mean, it's the all in all. Some people say, hey, I want to take my kids fishing this spring way and they do tie on a lizard. And they're like, man, that just seems elementary. It is. It is. <laughs> it, is. It, it works. I promise you, it works. Get you two packs of them, a Texas rig, you know, three sixteenths or a quarter, some 16-pound sunline, and go to bombing. You'll be fine. Yeah, no doubt, man. It's a great, it's, it's always uh, a great springtime lure for sure. But when we're, so let's talk about some of the other techniques for spring fishing other than sight fishing. So if you're going out, you're not going to be sight fishing. Uh, are you looking for, especially early spring, are you looking for water temperature, clarity, and, and, and taking sight fishing out and, and just, you know, from the conversation, because we've talked about that, but are you, what's some of the other spring techniques that, that you try to lean on? One of the things that I love to do in the spring, you know, the last six or seven years is throw a chatterbait a lot, you know, and, and you can throw, the chatterbait's good from the 50 degree water all the way up to 65, you know, and the spawn really kicks in around 56 to 60 degrees, but a chatterbait's one of them baits that I like to pick it up and I can go, whether I'm throwing around boat docks or I'm in grass, I get above 50 degrees, I start throwing a chatterbait. You know, slow rolling it, yo-yo it, it's according to what the cover looks like, but a chatterbait is something I lean on real heavy. And even like in these dirty water conditions, you're seeing an old school spinnerbaiters come back out, and that's something I've got to do a lot more, just throw a spinnerbait down a dirty water bank. You know, lean on a spinnerbait to find them, and a chatterbait, those are two lures that, I can search with in the spring and I'm telling you any water temperature over 50 and when it gets around 56, there's some fish on the bank somewhere and you can use them two baits and kind of, you know, you cover some water. Yeah. You can cover it with those. What is the big difference when you're looking at a spinner bait and a, and a chatter bait or, or do you fish those in, uh, what's the advantage of one, a, a chatter bait, maybe what's some things that you can do with a chatter bait that you, that you can't do with a spinner bait? Why would you go to it instead of a spinner bait, I guess? Chatter bait offers you several different things. You can go a bold, bright color in dirty water and slow it down, but it's mostly vibration. But wh- however, in clear water, it's natural looking because the blades are watermelon or black, the skirt's real natural. So even though it's an aggressive vibration, it's pretty natural appeal in the water where a spinnerbait, sometimes in clear water in the spring, 
unless you've got the right weather conditions, it's not going to produce like a chatterbait. A spinnerbait really needs a little bit more staying in the water down to the muddy water is where it's going to start showing out at, you know. So with the chatterbait, you can go muddy all the way up to crystal clear. Spinnerbait, once it starts clearing up, if you don't have wind and, and something to stir the water up, it's not going to be as good. Yeah, it makes total sense. Do you fish the chatterbait? You said you, you, you fish it lots of different ways in the springtime. I mean, is it, do you, do you tend to fish it faster and cover more water or do you, and I guess it just depends on, like you said, the cover. Well, one thing you always take in consideration is the closer it gets to that 56 to 60 degree water temperature, you got a picture that a bass could potentially be locked on a bed that you can't see and their strike zone starts shrinking. So, if it's below 56, a lot of times I yo-yo it. I throw it out there and fish it like a jig, just pull it up and let it fall, pull it up and let it fall. When it gets to that 56, 58, 60, I start that slow retrieve, just kind of not death crawling it, but just kind of medium slow retrieve, just trying to keep the bait slowly moving through the water, but keeping it in the strike zone a little, just a little bit longer. You're not burning it. You got to remember that temperature water on a spinnerbait or a chatterbait, you're not going to be burning it. It's just a slow, medium retrieve. And if it's under 56, I love the yo-yo technique. And even if a spinnerbait below 56, I slow roll it on the bottom. And I think that's one thing that people probably make a mistake with. I know I'm, I'm probably guilty of it myself sometimes, but with a spinnerbait or a chatterbait, either one, it's like just because of the, the I guess, the vibration, the way it feels, it's, we, get, we get guilty of, of throwing it and just reeling it and throwing it and reeling okay. it. And, uh, and it's cause it's easy and it's hard. It's sometimes we forget sometimes that you can yo-yo it and slow roll it and, uh, and slow that thing down and still be effective. Even every day of fishing, I start out doing what I think are work, but if I make, I make 10 or 15 really good casts with a bait and I ain't had a bite every day. I start changing the, the cadence. Like say I make 10 or 15 casts for chatterbait on a slow retrieve, no bites. Then I'll make 10, 10 or 15 while I wind and stop, wind and stop, or I may just, you know, jerk the rod tip up, make it, or kill it. But I'm constantly varying that retrieve to see if I trigger a bite. So even with a spinnerbait, I'll slow rolling. If that don't work, I might speed it up a little bit. I might pick it up and let it fall. You know, I may jump the rod and like jerk it like a jerk bait and then stop it. I mean, I'm constantly manipulating that bait on the cast to try to figure out that first bite. When you do, then you, you kind of say, okay, this is what they want. Dang, that's don't good just, stuff. Don't get rocked to sleep, and people do it. They get a chatterbait, throw it out there, and it feels good reeling it. And then next thing you know, it's four o'clock in the evening, and they still reeling it the exact same. <laughs> and they still reeling it the same way they were at daylight. Need to change that up. Yeah, that, that's good. What about top water in the springtime? You know, it, it is good. Top water in the spring, right when the fish go on bed, can be good. You can make show them. Just one thing you want to remember this time of year: sixty degree water, fifty eight to 63 the slower the top water bait sometimes the better so if you're throwing a popper style bait work it slow work it slow and even if you're throwing a big side to side like a spook or a walking bait work it slow you know it's not when it gets up to 68 to 70 degree water you can start bringing it because the spawns over their guard to fry they react different but i do like to throw you know some top water at this time of year especially if i know some fish are bedding in some areas i might throw a a big popper, like a you know, 13 has a big popper, and I'll throw it out there, and I'll just slow work it right over them holes, just a ploop and let it sit. I can tell you that's a mistake that I that I made on, on top water in the springtime is 
in my mind, you know, fish is spraying, fish are aggressive, they're active, they're feeding. And so I'm taking that top water bait and uh, whether it's a spook, walking it probably too fast instead of, like you said, thinking, having a different mindset. Yeah, fish are feeding, fish are aggressive, but these fish on the bed, you got to you got to get it and keep it in their strike zone. And to do that, you got to slow well, down. I've caught them so good on that popper before and in places like that, and you literally just make a little, little fine cast in there on a, on a tight piece of cover or something, and you just ploop, let it sit, ploop, let it sit. And you'll do it two or three times, you think, well, this is stupid. And then you'll see the water start swirling under it. And most of the time when they're on bed like that, they don't just flush it. They'll just boil under it and get it. They, they, are, they are aggressive and they're protective, but they're not full feeding frenzy where they just launch out of the water on it. They're just trying to get it. So this time of year, throw your top water, but work it slow. But work it slow. That's a great. That's a great tip right there. How do you use? You know, you talked about the uh, the live scope a while ago. Obviously, when you're sight fishing, you you like to use nothing. I mean, you cut cut everything that you can cut off. How's that changed the game? I mean, do you rely on that? Uh, is it one of those things? And I hear that it is. I've never used it. I've never even seen it used other than on TV and YouTube videos. Is it something that you has been a, a game changer? Oh, yeah. Front sonar has changed how we fish. It's educated us on what fish are doing. You know, and the double swoop on that is when I take, like, Humminbird has their 360. So I have a 360 and live scope. So I'm panning a 100-foot circle, and then I'm taking that live scope and fine-tuning inside of it and looking to see what's over by that log is a two fish or one fish. But what it shows you is that you fish by a lot of fish that don't bite, and it teaches me when fish how I've learned more off live scope on the fish that I didn't catch than I have the fish that I've caught. It's told me more what to do when I could see fish and couldn't catch them. It's taught me to leave them alone. You know, you just like, you, you really think, well, if there's a fish over there, but when you get to the right ones and the bait goes down, they jump on it. So, I mean, it, it's really helped me understand the behavior of fish. And if it's not one thing that I'll leave you with on what live scope taught me, fish never quit swimming. When you pull up to a brush pile and you think, well, there's a fish over there, he may swim around it six times before I caught him. I could watch him go around it and around. They never quit swimming. So they're not just yeah. sitting there by it. I mean, they're they're moving around that stump or that brush pile. Yep. They may move two foot to the left, two foot to the right. They might go in the brush pile, go back out the top. That's what's been cool to watch. It's, it's almost like you're getting a college education of what goes on underwater. So that's why sometimes you got to make repeated casts. It ain't that he's that stubborn. It just might have took six casts for him to see it. He might have had his head turned. He might have been looking the other way. He could have been going. I mean, there's a lot of variables in there, but. Live scope can change the game, but 360 and live scope can create a whole new world of bass fishing because you can see targets way out. You can go over to them with live scope and look around. The biggest takeaway from it is there's just no wasted energy. Like I'm not fan casting around going, I hope there's a brush pile out here. No, I can tell you there's a brush pile over there and there's four fish on it. Here you go. That's, That's it. a huge and game changer. Yeah. And if I see a piece of brush and the man, that piece of brush looks good. And I go out there and I look all around it with live scope and I don't see a dot on it. I'm leaving. You keep going. Yep. It's like, yeah, you don't hey, sit there and waste it six, seven, eight cast around it. Yep. You can't kill a 200 inch or hunting where spikes live. You got, you got to go with a, that, where the, it's at. And that's what it's done for me. It just, it just kind of started speeding up the game and teaching me stuff. But I tell people that ain't going, it ain't going to wreck the fishing world because it won't take two or three years and fish will get conditioned. They'll pick up on it. 
I mean, it always does, and they'll adapt, and they'll get. You'll be back to square one, trying to get another advantage. Yeah, and I'm sure around boat docks, it's got to be speed that process up too. Either these oh. under that boat dock, or he ain't. Keep yeah, on going to the up, next one. Yeah, I pan up under one of them piers at Smith Lake. If you don't see none of them little bright dots under there, well, you can go on. He ain't there. You just put the on high and go to the next one, and just go on to the next one. I wish that sucker would look up under the boat docks. Uh, it, it'd make my uh, it'd make my noodling in the springtime a lot easier if I could see where that big catfish was laying up under the the, the cement. <laughs> That'd be pretty good right there. I'm gonna leave that noodling and had a bear and a Jeff bear, and I ain't doing that. Oh man, you still got to come go with us sometime. I know we've talked about it a couple times, but man, I'd love to get you to do it. You'd you'd, you'd eat it up. You'd eat it up. You'd have a ball. I know that, and uh, and it's not just for the springtime with with you and and professional anglers and even your 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 weekend tournament guys. You look at your boat and you've got rods, different lures tied on different rods, sitting all on the boat, easy access, tons of different options of lures to choose from. How do you? keep up with all that gerald i mean is there is there something that you use or a technique or whatever that you use to keep up and how you organize for a spring trip compared to how you organize for uh when fish are schooling in 20 foot of water basically what i've started doing a lot in tournaments and even prior to getting to a tournament is i'll rig me up what i call a, a day box and i'll take one of my big lure lock boxes and I'll rig up a day box or, or a box that I think I'm going to need in three days of practice. And I'll sit in my garage and I'll say, right, if it's this, I need this. So I'll put a popper in. I'll put some lizards in. i put a shadow on the crankbait. So I just take one lure light box, build a day box, and try to fish out of that. So I'm not digging into the whole repertoire. I've got it in there in case I need backups. But I always have a starting point in one lure light box. And you can do the same thing whether you're pond fishing or going down and fishing off a public pier, take that box, sit in your shop where your tackle's at, go through seven or eight things you think you might need, put it in order there, you simplify it, you take off to the lake. And even in the tournament, I'll take that day box and clean it up even more. By the tournament, I know pretty much what I'm going to need. So I'll have two crankbaits. You know, if I'm catching them on crankbait, I'll have two extra ones, brand new hooks on them sitting in there. If I'm catching them on jerkbait, I have one of them in there. So I, I prep. So when I open that lid up, yeah, there's enough tackle in there to start a Bass Pro Shop, but I try not to dig around in that during tournament days to keep it simplified. Yeah, I like that. So the lure lock system, what is, how's it different than a regular, I heard you say that, but how's it different? They have that patented gel in the bottom of theirs where you can put lures in there and turn it upside down, it won't fall out. So what I can do is if I'm putting brand new VMC hooks on my jerk base and I set them down in there, they're not going to bounce around. I can sit them down on their side and they'll be stuck right where I left them. So the hooks don't bounce around and get dull. They don't tangle up. That patent in jail is cool. Really a cool aspect from that. You know, you could take your Texas rig weight, worm weights and stand them straight up in there and they'll be sitting there when you open the box back up. Really? You know, that's that's the coolest part about it is the jail. And it also serves as a cushion, but it keeps your baits from tangling up and work, working off a day box when I'm just putting... Because I may have a jerk bait lined by a crank bait lined by a buzz bait, but they all stay in place with the gel. That's cool. That's cool. Whether you whether you're a tournament fisherman or whether you walking around a pond, a farm pond, carrying a day box, uh, that's that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, it works out well. And, you know, I use, I take that same technology and use it on my farm where I've got tools in those boxes. I'm bad about putting loose nuts and bolts in there to kind of keep everything organized. But if you hadn't had a chance to, the people that are listening hadn't had a chance to check out a little lock box, you might want to get out there and look at it because it serves many, many purposes outside of fishing. Yeah, sounds like it. I'm going to check it out myself. Uh, Absolutely. Because if you saw mine, it'd be it's, it's pretty embarrassing how tangled up my lures are right now. So uh, I, I need to invest in that myself. Well, uh, where you head from here, Gerald? I got Texas, man. I'm packing up, fixing to jump back out here in the shop, finish packing up. I head to uh, Orange Sabine River for a week, and I've got a week of filming for Toyota, and I, I got up for YouTube stuff for them at uh, around Lake Louisville. And then the next week, I'll be at Lake Fort for another late series. So me and Lulu has three weeks on the road, and we're Ooh. packing up. My goodness. On the Sabine, where y'all be? At um, at Rayburn? No, it's coming up orange, and it goes just that little river that runs all the way down into the coast. It ain't the best. Like, you don't put it on your vacation list of places to go fishing. I like it, but it it ain't on the list. It ain't on the top 200 list because there ain't a lot of big ones in there. But it, it, it'll be a tough tournament, tight weights, but it makes good for TV. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fish. Yeah, definitely. I I, I know down in that, my, I got a, one of my best friends lived down there, and he fishes the Sabine all the time. And he's like, man, you can go out when it's hot. You can go out and catch 100 fish. But there ain't hardly any of them going to be over three pounds. Right, a lot of that you run into just pound and a half. But those tight weight tournaments make it, make it good for the final t- top 10 because nobody's out of it. That's right. Everybody's in it. Everybody's in it. Yep. You having a good year so far? I've had uh, I've had two really you know two top twenty five top thirties and then this last one a Pickwick bit me a little bit but you stagger sometime I told her it's just one step we'll be kind of right where I want to be you know I'm just kind of getting into it we still got uh, seven more tournaments so I tell everybody this is a this is a ten inning game you got to look at it like that the first three innings really don't matter nothing you got to get to that night the tenth when it starts to count. That's right. It's, it's, a, it's the long haul. Well, hey, man, I'm going to let you and Lulu go pack up. And uh, I greatly appreciate your time and, and sharing some spring bass tactics with us. And, and uh, man, great information. Love having you on the show. And, man, y'all be safe. Good luck in the tournament in, in, in Texas the next few weeks. And uh, I'll be keeping up with you and uh, watching how you do. So good luck to you, brother. I really appreciate it. Y'all be good. See you, man. All right, Gerald. Take care. Bye. What an awesome episode, and uh, man, what a what an awesome guy! And talking about a guy with some knowledge, and uh, man, just says some things that maybe we don't think about all the time when it comes to spring bass fishing. I, I hope y'all are as educated as I was. A lot of things to think about, and 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 man, some great points that he was made. So we thank Gerald for being on the show, giving us that segment, and I hope he has a good trip to Texas. And guys, that is going to wrap up the show for the week. So please subscribe, rate, and drop us a review wherever you listen to the podcast. If you'd like us to email you the podcast, you know we don't mind doing that either. All you got to do is just text the word fishing to 646-495-9867. And guess what? We'll email you the show each and every week. Thanks to all our sponsors. We greatly appreciate you guys listening. Be safe out there, and we'll talk to you next week. This week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by Sun South. From outdoor equipment 
parts, services, accessories, SunSouth has you covered on the best for less. Visit SunSouth or SunSouth.com for quality John Deere equipment. SunSouth, for those that do. And brought to you by Bucks Island is a family-owned and operated business since 1948. At BucksIslands.com, you can check out the full list of inventory from new and used bass, pontoon, bow rider style boats, new and used motors, as well as kayaks for sale. Give them a call at 256-442-2588. And brought to you by Brian Sand with National Land Realty. You already trust me with your fishing report, so trust me to help you find or sell that next piece of property as well. Just give me a call at 601-383-2344. And brought to you by Do You Do Outdoors? There's finally a social media platform for us. And share your hunting, your fishing, your camping, hiking, or whatever you do outdoors today. You do outdoors. Download it, guys. You'll like it. And brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold. Or save a bundle online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. 